Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Jason Kent. He's the senior vice president and general manager of CBSSports.com. He's going to join us. He oversees the wildly successful March Madness On Demand platform, which allows all of us to watch the NCAA on our computers free of charge. Last year, 1.4 million people watched the tournament online, and that number is expected to double this year. We'll step into the technology lab with Jason Kent from CBSSports.com in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, Greg Shaheen. He is the senior vice president of basketball and business strategies for the NCAA. In short, Shaheen is in charge of running the NCAA men's basketball tournament and overseeing the NCAA's 11-year, $6 billion contract with CBS. Shaheen, who also oversees the NIT, is one of the true power brokers in all of sports business. He's going to join us in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blogger. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio this week by my producer, Bobby Corser. Bobby, we had the Sports Business Radio March Madness Bracket Challenge, the second annual. I want to know who's in your final four. Uh, I have North Carolina, okay, Kansas. Then we have UCLA and Michigan State. Me for the championship, North Carolina, UCLA, North Carolina winning. You've got the same bracket that a lot of people have. I think a lot of people have UCLA and North Carolina meeting in the finals. People go back and forth as to whether it's going to be UCLA or North Carolina. Those two teams seem to have the easiest path. I've got Tennessee, Kansas, Texas, and UCLA. I have Tennessee knocking off North Carolina to get to the Final Four. I have UCLA going all the way. I think Kevin Love could be the difference for the Bruins this year, and I think the Bruins have the easiest path in the West region. Now, we're going to catch up with Greg Shaheen, who, as I said, oversees this entire tournament. He's a name you may not be familiar with, but you should be. This is a tournament that, like we said, a $6 billion contract with CBS. They're going to make about $545 million just this year alone, the NCAA will. So it'll be good to catch up with Greg Shaheen, who's been on this show before. But we've got headlines coming up. The Boston Red Sox. They almost didn't go to Japan to open the season against the Oakland A's. We're going to discuss that next. Coming up in headlines, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, CBS earned a 4.4 overnight Nielsen rating for last Sunday's NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Selection Show. That's down 6.4% from a 4.7 last year. CBS also earned a 1.5 overnight for the Wisconsin-Illinois Big Ten Championship game, down 51.6% from a 3.1 for last year's comparative Ohio State-Wisconsin game. That game, Nathan, featured Greg Oden. When you don't have Greg Oden, it your, the ratings go down. 51% is a big number. Yeah, Greg Oden and Mike Conley Jr. And the other thing you have to look at with the selection show is this. There's not as many bubble teams. There was not as many bubble teams this year, so there wasn't as many people watching to see if their team got in. There were so many upsets in the tournaments, in the conference tournaments this year, that bubble teams were eliminated before they even got a chance. Yeah, I mean, I think people are excited about the brackets coming out, but they can be just as excited learning on the Internet or learning in the newspaper the next day. I don't think a lot of people sit around and are going, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to see which team is going where? I think they can find out a few hours later and, and be fine. Our next headline, Red Sox third baseman Mike Lowell said that the team voted on Wednesday morning unanimously during a players-only meeting not to make the scheduled trip to Japan or play its final spring training game unless the coaches, training staff, and equipment staff were going to be compensated for making the trip. The Red Sox ended the threatened boycott Wednesday, uh, and they resolved the dispute Major League Baseball is going to pay the Red Sox and the A's coaches a $40,000 stipend. Nathan, this just goes to show Major League Baseball is a $6 billion industry. And Bud Selig, who I use as a pinata on this show many times. But it's so fun. Well, I mean, but this guy just doesn't get it. $40,000 when you're a $6 billion industry, and that's just what they made last year, is a drop in the bucket. Do the right thing. Ultimately, they did. But the fact that this was even a boycott is is ridiculous. Well, good for the Red Sox players for sticking with their team. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous, especially when you're trying to globalize your sport. You need the entire staff over there, and there's absolutely no reason that $40,000 should stop you from going over and trying to globalize baseball. I mean, listen, the coaches aren't part of the Players Association and the Players Union, so... But this was agreed upon, and the Red Sox are going way out of their way to take this trip, and then they've got a West Coast swing, and they've got to go to Toronto. They're going to be gone for 19 days from their home and from their families in Boston. Forty grand again, is a drop in the bucket. Bud Selig, Mickey Mousing around again, taking the focus off of what it should be on. I think highest highest paid commissioner yeah, it, in Major League Sports is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but I'm glad it got worked out. And like you said, kudos to the Red Sox players for standing behind the coaches. And I think it's only going to make the Red Sox a stronger team come opening day. Our next headline, the Major League Baseball Players Union is looking into possible collusion against Major League Baseball owners regarding the signing of Barry Bonds. I think this is ridiculous. Listen, Barry Bonds is the poster boy for steroids. He's a selfish player. He's a one-man circus. I don't think this is collusion. I think it's smart business. These owners are looking at Barry Bonds and saying the guy is going to federal court later this year. 
He's a distraction from the rest of the team. He's high maintenance. Why in the world would I want to sign him? Well, and Barry Bonds came out this week and said he's ready to play. Maybe in July, he said, they have my phone number. They have my BlackBerry. I'll be checking. I'd like to play. I want to win a championship. It makes me wonder, does he want to win a championship because it's the only thing that will have a little star next to his name? That's a team part of it. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get the chance. I think he's going to be waiting around near his BlackBerry and his phone for a long time, but we'll keep our eye on this story. Our next headline, the NFL through the league in its 32 teams has more than $9 billion of debt. This according to the Sports Business Journal this week. The league's outside general counsel, Greg Levy, included the figure in a letter he wrote last October to the NFL Players Association in response to the union's questions about a league resolution to reduce team debt. Now, the lawyer downplayed this debt, Nathan, but it's much higher than anyone else. Major League Baseball's debt is about $3.1 billion. The NBA will not loan a club more than $175 million, so their debt is reduced. $9 billion is a big number, but when you are a league like the NFL and you're bringing in literally billions of dollars a year just in TV money, forget about ticket sales, merchandise, or anything else, you can probably carry this number and not think that the league is going to crash in five years. Well, yeah, but it's still a really big number, and it's really surprising that the NFL is that far in debt, especially when you compare it to the other leagues. So, again, they're going to be fine here, but that's a giant number, $9 billion. Our next headline and our final headline for this week, the IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, acknowledged for the first time this week that air pollution could affect the health and performance of athletes. Really? No, duh. Is a guy who was over there in September, I've been writing about this, I've been saying this on our show, the air quality stinks. Congratulations to the IOC for finally waking up and getting on board. They are now saying that they will monitor air quality daily during the games to determine whether to postpone certain outdoor events. This was a story in the Washington Post this week, Nathan, and it's nice to see that the IOC is finally waking up to this. Since Beijing won the right to host the Olympics back in 2001, they spent $17 billion to clean the air. And again, I can tell you as someone who was there in September, not doing a very good job. I can tell you as someone who looks at pictures on the Internet that they're not doing a very good job. And I think athletes, rightfully so, should stay out of the Olympics if they feel like their health is in jeopardy. Coming up next, Jason Kent, CBSSports.com. How many of us watch March Madness on demand on our computer? We have the ability now to watch while we're at work. We don't have to play hooky and run home unless our IT managers block March Madness on demand. But this is a growing technology. We are going to step into the technology lab in our next segment with Jason Kent from CBSSports.com and discuss March Madness on demand. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Bringing you up to speed on the latest breakthroughs in the world of sports. Let's enter the technology lab. My guest is Jason Kent. He is the senior vice president and general manager of CBSSports.com. Jason, I know you're very busy this week. Uh, thanks for taking time to join us. It's my pleasure. Good afternoon. So give us a little bit of background on your job as the senior VP and GM for CBSSports.com, if you would. Yeah, I run the, I run the online sports group for CBS Sports, and uh, and this time of year, I just I ride along with the rest of the group here, trying to put together everything around March Madness. Yeah, I mean, your March Madness on-demand business, uh, I think if you're looking at sports, you're looking at streaming video, you guys have really established the model, not only with March Madness on-demand, but your, your master's on-demand, uh, the live and free streaming video for March Madness on-demand. I see last year you had about 1.4 million visitors are you expecting more people this year? I would imagine. Yeah, a lot more. Um, it's hard to it's hard to tell the sky's the limit, but but it's going to be at least double digit growth again. And then I see that you've uh, got a new developer platform and you struck a deal with Facebook. Can you tell us about those deals? And obviously, that should increase traffic for you. I'd imagine. Absolutely. The deal that we put together with Facebook is to uh, take over their bracket game that they had last year. So we're doing the bracket game together. So we expect that that bracket game, combined with the one on CBSSports.com, will have the largest bracket pool on the largest bracket contest on the web, and then uh, we'll be linking directly into March Madness on demand the live games from that product. Um, in addition, that development platform that we that we launched allows any sports site out there on the web to link straight into March Madness on demand. So we'll have links into the product from ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Yahoo Sports, MySpace, Facebook, you name it. It's going to be hard to miss March, March Madness On Demand this year. Any idea? I mean, that new developer platform is really a great idea. Um, any idea besides the sites that you just mentioned? I mean, it sounds like people can link from their blogs, really from anywhere. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of feedback from smaller sites, blogs, uh, some of the smaller newspapers around the country. Um, we've got all the CBS radio and TV affiliates to be linking straight in. So there'll be links throughout the web. And again, it's going to be hard to miss the, the tournament this year. Let's talk more about March Madness On Demand. I know you guys have almost been a victim of your own success. You know, I'll tell you my personal experience in the past. I have signed up to be a, a VIP, so I've been able to get right in. But if you're not a VIP, and I see I just went online before this interview, you're 86% full right now for your VIPs. Um, if you're not a VIP, are you going to be able to get on? You'll definitely be able to get on. We we do have on the, the first two days, we've got something we call the waiting room, and, and sometimes there's a wait of anywhere you know, up to five minutes normally uh, to get into the game. But, uh, you know, we hope that people are patient. It's, uh, and we're trying to bring a, a major, major sporting event to the web for the first time, really. And, uh, and that's part of the, uh, the nuances of the Internet. But once you're in, we promise a great experience. And, again, it's, it's a small price to pay, I think, for, for free March Madness. Yeah, I mean, talk about bandwidth for a minute. I'm not a, a technological guru, but 
Um, is there something you can do year to year to be able to allow more people to get in at one time by increasing your bandwidth? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, every year we've been increasing our capacity and our bandwidth uh, pretty dramatically over the previous year. So we always run up against a limit as we as we push for more distribution and more awareness and more people using the product. Um, we you know we run into limits on the capacity side from the previous year, but you know this year you should expect we'll be able to handle 50% plus more. Um, people than we had last year in the product. So um, we definitely are investing a lot more this year to handle more people. Jason, I'm a Mac user, and I know the first year that I signed up, um, I had a little bit of a difficult time because I wasn't on a PC. Talk about, I know we have a lot of Mac users that uh, listen to this show. Talk about the people who have Macs. Are they going to be able to launch their viewer? It should be okay, yeah. Um, I know anytime with the Mac, there's uh, you know certain configurations that don't work as well, but uh, I'm told it should work okay this year. And uh, as soon as I get off this, uh, as soon as I get off the air with you, I'm going to run over there and make sure that we're fine for this year. That's great. Our guest is Jason Kent. He is the senior vice president and GM of CBSSports.com. Uh, Jason, I've read some articles saying that you guys could net up to 21 million dollars in advertising sales for March Madness on Demand. Again, really in a it's an amazing number considering, you know, you just started this a few years ago. Talk about the sponsorships and the increase in sponsorships for March Madness On Demand, if you would. Yeah, it's probably one of you know, the strongest segment we have of of our advertising sales. If we look at the year, uh, it's been growing. It's been doubling essentially every year for the last three years. This year, yeah, we've, we've announced that we'll be north of $21 million, um, as we come into the tournament. And uh, even better, this year we were able to get the three the three corporate champions, we call them, that sponsor the tournament on television across the various platforms. They also um, came in as the presenting sponsors for, for March Madness On Demand this year. So we'll have, we'll have Coca-Cola, AT&T, and Pontiac um, carrying their sponsorship across all platforms, including online. Are they the exclusive sponsors, or do you have other uh, sponsors as well? Uh, they're the three corporate champions. There's an additional... Um, level of, of advertising that runs beyond that across the product. Because I've always wondered, I mean, you know, if I had a choice, i got to be honest with you, between advertising on demand online or on TV, I'd probably go online because I think one of the added benefits is you can just click on the advertiser's website and go right to their product. On TV, obviously, you don't have that interactive element. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, that is one of the incremental things that we can do online. We've got companion ads that run around the product, too. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, nothing's going to beat a, a Coca-Cola advertisement on an HD television on your big screen uh, from an online standpoint. But there are there are unique benefits to the online advertising that, and it's a unique audience too. We really see it as additional audience that we're catching often during the workday with the product that we don't get um, through the TV. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point, Jason. Uh, a few years ago, before we had the ability to watch these games. Through March Madness on Demand, a lot of people were playing hooky from work or they were sitting at their desk wishing that they knew what was going on with their bracket. Well, now, um, you know, with March Madness on Demand, you can be sitting there at your desk at work and, and watching this. Do you ever hear back from people who say, you know, I wish you'd never launch this because we have so much lost work time and people aren't paying attention to their work this week? I know there's reports out that, you know, employers are losing millions of dollars this week because people are spending too much time on their brackets or watching these games online. Yeah, that's, that's frankly, that's the only place I ever hear about it is reading those articles. Um, the reporters talking about it, but uh, haven't heard that directly from anyone. I'm sure it's happening. We, we do uh, very clearly on the product, tell 
especially the IT managers out there that may want to block the product. We tell them very easily how they can do it. We don't hear a lot about that happening. Uh, and, and you're right, if, uh, if it's, if it's going to be choosing between staying home and sick versus having the employee watch it uh, on their on their browser at the office, you know, give them a little break and, and enjoy a little time off while they're at the office and catch up on the game. Jason, we've got just a few minutes left. In addition to March Madness On Demand, as I mentioned earlier, you also offer live streaming video of the Masters at Amen Corner. I'm a big golf fan. I've really enjoyed uh, the Masters offering. Tell us a little bit about that this year. I know I got a press release recently saying there's some uh, new elements around your coverage of that this year. Yeah, we're giving you two more holes. So if you're familiar familiar with the product, you know that we've we've done the traditional three holes of Amen Corner in the past, all four days live, and now we're adding uh, 15 and 16 to the broadcast. So you'll be able to watch five holes of the course all four days live uh, on CBSSports.com. So it's a uh, you know, we're, we're, making, uh, we're making progress there and doing some more interesting things beyond that. Any numbers? I know we talked earlier about 1.4 million visitors last year for March Madness On Demand. What kind of numbers do you get for the Masters? What kind of numbers do you get for the Masters? It's uh, smaller numbers. It's in the hundreds of, uh, hundreds of thousands, but uh, um, they're still big, still big for advertisers, and uh, they're growing every year double-digit. All right, Jason, uh, I have signed up to be a, a VIP March Madness On Demand, but give a plug to our listeners. How can people get March Madness On Demand if they haven't signed up yet? If they haven't signed up yet, I'd uh, suggest they go to nca.com, and uh, they can click on the Sign Up for VIP link on the front of nca.com right now, and we've still got 14% of those left. That's great. Jason Kent, the Senior Vice President and GM of CBSSports.com, thanks for making time to join us. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods. Featuring USDA prime age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Greg Shaheen. He's the Senior Vice President for Basketball and Business Strategies for the NCAA. He oversees the NCAA tournament as well as the NIT. Greg has joined us on the show before. Greg, thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us again this week. Glad to be with you. So, Greg, you're tasked with overseeing really the crown jewel of college sports, the NCAA $6.1 billion contract with CBS. What would you say are the biggest areas of growth for the NCAA tournament since you first joined the NCAA back in 2000? 
Well, we've continued to try to grow the event so that more fans with or without tickets are able to be part of the event. We're uh, reconfiguring how our final four venues are laid out so that more fans are able to be able to attend in person. We're expanding the menu of uh, options, entertainment and activity options all around our events so that fans, whether or not they have a uh, ticket or not, are able to be part of the event. And then from the consumption side, the media side, uh, our embrace of new media and exercising new avenues uh, to distribute where our games and how our games can be seen uh, has really taken off. Yeah, I know you're a tech guy. In March Madness on Demand, 1.4 million visitors last year, and I know that number's expected to possibly double this year. Uh, that's really been a hit for you. Yeah, you know what? It's a perfect application uh, for our tournament, or maybe a better way to say it is our tournament is a perfect fit for the application. It's uh, able to take multiple sites at one time and be able to pull everything together. Uh, the, the picture quality is unbelievable, and uh, the ability to be able to tie it all together this year without blackouts so that even your local market games will be able to be seen uh, makes it uh, something very special. We think fans will continue to really embrace it. Uh, when we went to that model in the last uh, two years, it has continued to set greater and greater consumption records, and uh, we do expect that to continue. Greg, talk for a moment, if you would, about the $6.1 billion contract with CBS. How is that money distributed by the NCAA? Because a lot of people here, you know, NCAA, tax-exempt organization, that's a lot of money. How is that money distributed? Sure. It's uh, In essence, it's a pass-through. The NCAA as an entity is a pass-through to our membership. We're made up of all the universities and uh uh, colleges that you have in your neighborhood. There are 1,200 member institutions and colleges, uh, colleges and conferences all around the country, and 95% uh, of the money that the association brings in is then distributed to those schools uh, for them to do uh, scholarship programs, academic advising uh, for their facilities, for insurance, for the various things that assure that our student-athletes of all sports, uh, right now the association, sponsors 88 championships in 23 sports. And so our goal uh, by trying to maximize those revenue streams is to assure uh, a robust allocation uh, to our membership so that more young people can have the opportunity to compete on and off the court. So in essence, the NCAA tournament is helping fund, like you said, you know, golf, tennis, uh, softball, some of these other sports that don't have the uh, revenue generating capabilities that NCAA basketball does. Is that correct? That's exactly right, and and gladly so. I mean, it makes good sense uh, for you know us to not differentiate between and among athletes. So, uh, regardless of uh, gender, for example, the the opportunity to be able to fund those athletic opportunities for people who are just so uniquely skilled uh, is something very special. And so, as a result, uh, the the revenue stream uh, that you speak to is really used uh, in large part to help those member institutions in every way possible. Greg, the NCAA tournament, wildly successful. Uh, according to my statistics, it's second only to the NFL playoffs as far as top-grossing multi-day sporting events in the United States. I read where the tournament may gross as much as $545 million this year. Talk for a moment, if you would, just about what it is about this tournament that strikes home with so many fans. Well, it's intercollegiate athletics in general, uh, quite honestly. You know, everybody either went to uh, a school, lives near a school, has a child that goes to a school, a neighbor that goes to a school, 
or lives in a state that follows a particular school. We're all close to it. It's the next uh, logical generation beyond uh, high school. And we're all, you know, remember fondly our high schools and, and how we used to follow them. So college is more of a national platform uh, for the same kind of feverish following of athletic competition. It's what makes it so special. And so when it translates into the tournament, uh, you know, certainly coveted opportunities. Only one in five teams in Division One get to go in, on, in any given year. And so the opportunity to really follow it combined with what is just this remarkable, uh, whether you believe it's luck, happenstance, uh, Cinderella in waiting, whatever it may be, you understand that uh, there is just a, a remarkable storyline uh, that runs through the Division One Men's Basketball Championship uh, that tells uh, remarkable storylines that so few sports, so few events are able to uh, benefit from uh, similarly. We're joined by Greg Shaheen. He's the Senior Vice President for Basketball and Business Strategies for the NCAA. Greg, let's talk specifically about the job of the Selection Committee for a moment. Uh, tell us, if you can, how many people are on the Selection Committee? And I know there's this veil of secrecy that you know takes place on Sunday. That's a tough job that those people in that room have. But can you give us a little bit of a behind-the-scenes feel for what happens on Selection Sunday? Sure. It, you know, it's really it's a recap of uh, five and a half days of ten athletic administrators from around the country, either conference commissioners or athletic directors, uh, who uh, cordon themselves off uh, in a hotel in downtown Indianapolis, and they sit and analyze teams, uh, whether it be through uh, statistics or assessment of games they've seen in person or watched on TV or tape or the Internet and comparing them relatively and creating a bracket from that process. It is uh, high pressure, high intensity on Selection Sunday. In the eight years that I've done it, I've never had to set my alarm clock. Uh, you <laughs> feel It feels different getting up Sunday morning, and you, you simply know that uh, the world is watching. It's obviously uh, a fascinating experience to work on something, uh, humbling to be in the room, to watch the kind of honest dialogue that takes place positively and perhaps negatively about some teams uh, based on their performance and their abilities, and uh, to see the bracket come to, to fruition, uh, knowing that the whole world's watching and will spend the next several days critiquing your work. Yeah, I mean, you when you were on the show with me last year, you said there's really three jobs of the committee. One is selecting the 34 best at-large teams, two, seeding the teams, and then three, setting up those brackets. Uh, not an easy task. You know, I'm going to use the team Arizona. They get in 24th year in a row that they're in, but then you have teams like Arizona State, Virginia Tech, Ohio State. They're left out of the tournament. Greg, has there been any talk, I know the media talks about it a lot, about expanding the field beyond 65 teams? Well, there has been discussion about it. There is, uh, it, it goes off and on. It's all part of the committee's continuous assessment of the tournament uh, to try and determine what is best and in the best interest of college basketball. Thus far, the membership has not uh, felt uh, the real need to expand the event. So at this point in time, it hasn't happened. Uh, but you really do never know what, what might be possible in the future. And again, that, that depends on what our membership says. And, and we go forward from there. The thing is, though, we have 332 Division I member institutions at this point in time. We have to accept the fact that some are going to be left out no matter what. And so right-sizing it, figuring out what the size of the field should be is really the way in which the committee must focus, understanding that at a certain point in time, there will always be a certain number of institutions 
which are disappointed, and there's nothing you can do to avoid that. So we try and make sure that the committee focuses on creating the best possible field in any given year and going from there. Well, and one of the things the committee does a really remarkable job with, in my opinion, is giving us compelling matchups for the tournament. For instance, uh, I love the USC-Kansas State matchup in round one. O.J. Mayo, Michael Beasley, two of the best freshmen in the country. How much time when they're sitting in that room and they're putting these brackets together does the committee give to trying to create compelling storylines, whether it's in the first or second round or maybe later on in the bracket? It, 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 the committee, as it goes into uh, the bracketing phase, spends no time on matchups. Uh, there's a pretty interesting scenario right now where you have two of the compelling uh, freshman storylines competing against each other in the first round uh, of the tournament. And um, traveling this week with our committee chair, Tom O'Connor from George Mason. And uh, I was with him the whole selection Sunday. And uh, it wasn't until we walked in offset to uh, the CBS selection show uh, when we heard Jim Nance comment on the matchup uh, of uh, the two players and the two teams, and uh, it, we hadn't even noticed it on the bracket. Well, the reality is their committee is so focused on selecting the best 34 teams and then making sure that the combined field of 65 uh, is seated and then bracketed in the right way that, quite frankly, time precludes uh, any ability to inject creative bracketing uh, into the process. So uh, we appreciate all the Oliver Stone-esque theories as to uh, <laughs> what's going on, but we're, uh, we're just not, uh, not able to do that. No, but it is just, I think, you know, it's remarkable even more after that answer that they're not trying to do that, but it seems like every year we get those compelling storylines, which I think is fantastic. And frankly, you know, this is a TV, a made-for-TV event, and, you know, you want people to tune in, you want the ratings to be good, so I think having compelling storylines obviously helps with the TV ratings. No question. And, and you know, it's great. We want more people to be exposed to what uh, college basketball is all about. Uh, we believe that every team, uh, those that are in the field, and quite frankly, those that aren't in the field, have some of the most amazing storylines, uh, some of the most amazing stories to tell, some of the most inspiring student-athlete uh, experiences, uh, really, on every team. And so it's just it's a great opportunity for that to be shown to a broader audience, those who not only followed the sport all season long, uh, but those who are simply casual uh, and watching either because a friend or family member uh, is addicted to it or because they just simply enjoy the pace and excitement uh, that is March Madness. Greg, Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA, Michael Slive, who has served as the chair of the BCS committee, they've both joined me on this show previously. And each of them says they love the current setup with college football in the postseason and that during the regular season, every game is meaningful. On the flip side of that, I tend to believe that college basketball during the regular season, I'm not saying the games aren't meaningful, but they're not as meaningful as college football. But then the postseason... This is what we have. We have David versus Goliath. We have a Belmont that can take on a Duke and gets to play them for a day and gets great exposure for their program. I don't like the college football postseason. I love college basketball's postseason. Do you ever see a day, I know you work in the NCAA offices, do you ever see a day where maybe college football rethinks their postseason to give us what we have with college basketball's postseason? Well, it goes back to your question earlier about expanding the field. That is that it really is up to our membership. Our basketball committee, uh, you know, has studied the expansion issue and opted not to proceed at this point in time. But whether it's, you know, college football or any other 
of the sports that the uh, NCAA member institutions sponsor. It's really up to them. Uh, if there is a, it, it is easy to say that if a majority, or simplest to say perhaps, that a majority, if a majority of the uh, membership wants to see a change in how those things are managed, then in fact they will be handled as such. You know, in college basketball, which is our primary point of uh, view at this point, what we've got to do is work on making, as you described, which is a very perceptive question, uh, we've got to make college basketball in the regular season more relevant, including the phases uh, and the games that are being played before football is done, so that there is an awareness that really there are 230, 220 uh, NCAA institutions that are playing basketball that don't have football. So as a result, there is simply a lot of basketball to be had out there, and I don't know necessarily that we uh, have done enough uh, to promote the regular season, and I think that will be a real way of focusing our efforts going forward. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there, the, the regular season, especially, let's say, before the new year. It's it's a struggle to get people to pay attention to college basketball. We've got a few more minutes, Greg. The NCAA has taken on an increased role in trying to control unauthorized ticket resales. Can you discuss the increasingly sophisticated process of selling tickets on the secondary market and maybe tell us why the NCAA has gotten involved in this area? Sure. I actually came from a local organizing committee, a host committee for the Final Four for 15 years I worked with the Indianapolis host committee and would host the Final Four uh, when it would come to town. And in doing so, part of my responsibilities uh, were to interface with local law enforcement and to enforce uh, the ticking, ticket resale ordinances of the city. And, and quite frankly, it just is so obvious that the level of uh, value for the tickets uh, was uh, far exceeding face value. The association, historically, the basketball committee specifically, has attempted to keep the face value of tickets down um, so that it could be affordable to those who want to attend. But quite frankly, from an economic analysis that we conducted over several years, it has become so upside down uh, that the market has, has gotten away from the association. So our efforts over the last few years has been to try and or have been to try and do a better job of harnessing uh, that marketplace back under our control as the event operator. So for the last few years, we've uh, attempted to pilot and then fully activate ticket and hospitality programs that allow us to get tickets to the general public for those who uh, are interested in going and who are going to go no matter what but they can have the confidence that it's a sanctioned program, that the tickets are legitimate, they didn't belong to anybody else before they belonged to them, and that any of the proceeds from it go to benefit our membership and the programs that the NCAA puts on uh, each and every year. Uh, in, in 2004, uh, we had uh, gross revenue from uh, the Final Four in San Antonio of a little over $5 million, but the estimates from our study was that the second and tertiary ticket markets uh, eclipsed $30 million in revenue. Well, just intuitively, as the event operator, the notion that someone else would make six times what you do right. to put the event on just doesn't make sense. So we put those programs into place. They've really been successful. Uh, the feedback from the general public has been excellent. Uh, just a few minutes left, as I said. I want to talk about you for a moment. I think you've got a real inspiring story, Greg. Uh, I read the story of in 1980, you were 12 years old. You went to your first Final Four with your father, and you said to your father, you know what? 
one day I'm going to be running this event. And, you know, we have so many people that listen to this show that want to work in the sports industry, and a lot of them never reach the, the goal that they set for themselves. You have reached that goal. Maybe you can just talk for a minute or two about persistence and chasing your dream. Sure. I, uh, you know, I would love to say that there's some magic solution to it. The, uh, if I could, if I could paraphrase, um, I think the way I believe that is that no one needs to know it, but your, your goal always should be to simply and quietly, uh, outwork anybody else, uh, without regard to you're not in a competition, but just let your work speak for itself. And, uh, quite frankly, from the volunteer opportunities that I had to be part of the host committee for the final four, uh, through what I'm doing today, the, the ascension, if you will, really came down to being noticed for being focused on the work I was assigned to do and helping others do the work they were assigned to do. Uh, I think there is a required humility in all of this that I recognize and that everybody else recognize that the event we're working on is bigger than any of us. It means more to more people uh, than anything else you know, I'll ever have the opportunity to be part of. So it's humbling in the highest order, and the way in which I've been able to be part of it is something I'm thankful to those who who gave me the chance, you know, just gave me the opportunity to begin with, and in a way try to work every day to make sure that they have great confidence that they made the right decision. But it's, uh, you know, it's a day-to-day thing, and being able to have that opportunity, you know, was in large part luck but then making sure that when opportunities exist that you just quietly go about your work. And if your work is good and if you're determined to to put it to bed no matter how long it takes, uh, then it'll take care of itself. Well, and I want everyone to know that when Greg talks about hard work, this is a gentleman who spends about 300 days a year on the road. He's got about 13 million frequent flyer miles. So he is working very, very hard. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Guests appearing during our Sport 10 segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Greg, best of luck with the NCAA tournament. I think you do a fantastic job, and I can't wait to uh, watch this year again. No problem. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Green Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, Nike has 42 of the 65 teams in the NCAA men's basketball tournament down from 47 a year ago. Nike or Jordan uniforms are worn by 37 schools. 20 teams wear Adidas shoes up from 15 a year ago. New Balance is represented by two schools, while Marquette is the sole team wearing Converse. That's because of Dwayne Wade. Reebok had two schools in the tournament last year, but is not represented this year. Our other note before we close the show, the consulting firm Challenger, Gray, and Christmas released their annual report on the NCAA tournament's impact on the American workplace, finding that 2008's version of March Madness, Nathan, is going to cost U.S. employers $1.7 billion. A lot of people playing hooky, filling out brackets, missing work. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all, especially now that you can watch it on demand. Before it was, you'd click over every 15, 20 minutes, check out the scores. It's gotten even bigger because people can actually watch the full games on their computer screen, which I will be doing this week and this weekend and late into the tournament. But that's really what I think has changed the dynamic of the tournament is that you can actually watch everything. Before it was refresh, refresh, refresh to see what the scores were. Now you just watch it like you watch TV. I hope you guys, and I say you guys, Bobby and Nathan, are signed up as VIPs because as we discussed with Jason Kent, if you're not a VIP, that waiting line in the lobby for just the normal people, it's going to be tough to get on at all. Oh, yeah, it will be. And in the past, when this first started, VIP wait was, you know, two minutes. Now it's, you know, 15, 20 minutes just to be able to tune into the game. The other thing is we discussed is I'm a Mac user, so I am keeping my fingers crossed that as a Mac user, I can launch my viewer to be able to watch March Madness On Demand. I've had problems with that in the past. We will see. I want to thank our guests, Greg Shaheen from the NCAA, Jason Kent from CBSSports.com, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. A reminder, go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on our March Madness Challenge. You can follow all of us here at Sports Business Radio and anyone else that signed up before the tournament began to track our picks and see how we do with our brackets. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.